Welcome to the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. I am your host and purpose career coach, Michelle Glover. Imagine how you could feel if every day you walked into work, you felt like you were walking in your purpose. That is what I call professional peace. Join me as I talk with leaders and they share their authentic journeys of purpose discovery and how they found professional peace in corporate America. Your journey to a purposeful career transformation starts now. Welcome to today's episode of the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. I am your host and purpose career coach, Michelle Glover. And today's guest is none other than Milton Little, who is the president and CEO of United Way of Greater Atlanta. He became the first African-American president of United Way of Greater Atlanta in July of 2007. Previously, he held the role of president of United Way of Massachusetts Bay and Mary Valley. He joins a strong legacy of fundraising and collaborative leaders who bring together supportive partners in the for-profit, nonprofit, philanthropic, and government sectors to identify challenges facing individuals and families and offer solutions. He has helped raise more than a billion dollars for local community needs and priorities during his career. Before joining United Way, he has served as the chief operating officer and interim president and CEO of the National Urban League, the nation's oldest and largest civil rights and social service community-based movement. Prior to joining the league, he has had a career in corporate philanthropy at AT&T and Lucent Technologies and served as the president for field operations for MDRC, a nonpartisan education and social policy research organization. Can you believe this? We are at the end of season one for the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. And this is the first podcast episode of 2023. And I couldn't think of a better leader to have in this conversation than Milton Little. Let me tell you, you are in for a treat because this is about to be a purpose-driven masterclass. So get your pen and pad ready, take notes, and enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. I am your host, Michelle Glover, and I am so excited for today's guest. Uh, He is just a great inspiration and has a great story. And we are excited to have him on the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. So Milton Little, who is the president and CEO of United Way Atlanta. So, So hello to everyone. Hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. Thanks for having me here. Oh, you are more than welcome. And thank you for accepting the invitation. And so we're going to hop right into today's podcast because I tell you, during the prep session, I was taking so many notes and I was truly fueled by this conversation. So I want us to hop in and get ready for a great discussion. And I so told you, I can't promise that I'm going to say exactly what we said. <laughs> If you don't, we will stop and say, wait a minute, that's not what you told me last time. Uh, We'll (laughs) see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. And I love it. I love it. Great, great. So we are going to start with the question I ask all of my leaders, and that is the question of passion and what makes your heart sing. So when you think about what makes your heart sing at work, what is that for you? Thank you for that question. What makes my heart sing is everything that I do at United Way, because I believe that I am living my purpose. I am in an organization that is all about purpose. 
that is values driven, that has as its fundamental goal, how do we improve the lives of children and families uh, all across greater Atlanta? And so, you know, that's what makes my heart sing is just knowing that every day something good happens for somebody. And I've got a little bit of uh, responsibility for having made that happen. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. And I love the importance, and I share this often with people, of understanding your company's values and seeing how they align with your personal values. So that way, every day you feel like, hey, I'm walking into something that truly brings me joy. And so for us who say, okay, you're president and CEO of United Way Atlanta, what do you do? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your role in the organization. So as the president and CEO of United Way of Greater Atlanta, my responsibility is to set the vision uh, for the organization and create the conditions through which it can achieve its community impact objectives, its fundraising objectives, its friend raising objectives, mm -hmm. public policy and advocacy and engagement efforts. And so my task is to sort of sit at the top of the food chain and provide the support that everybody else in the organization needs to do their job. Mm, that's beautiful. And you said friend raising. And I was like, what's what's a friend raising? <laughs> you know, people in, in nonprofits are always talking about fundraising. You've got to raise the money to do the work. But primarily, if you're really effective at fundraising, it's because you've been able to do effective fundraising. That's how do you invite people to be part of the mission? How do you help people find part of their purpose through what they do in partnership with you? And so it's really about this invitation to people that if you really want to do big things in the community and make big things happen on behalf of children and families, it's United Way as a partner where you might be able to do some of your best work. Oh, wow. That's I love that terminology, friend raising. So for those in the nonprofit industry or anything that you're doing, the importance of having those relationships because relationships do matter and making sure people feel apart. Now, well, how did you like doing people like doing yeah. business with people they like? And so that's that's part of it. I mean, if, if you're effective at what you do, it's because people enjoy you and they want to be a part of what you're trying to accomplish and they want to help you succeed. And so that's all in this idea of friend raising. I love it. And that applies no matter where you are in corporate America, in entrepreneurship, in nonprofit. Uh, so great gym that we were we were just provided and we just got started. So um, so how did you get into this space? How did you tell us about your career journey? The short version, you know, the commercial break version that got you to being in the role that you're in. So I've had career that has spanned the for profit, nonprofit government arenas. You know, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, you can't see the pattern looking forward. You have to look backwards to see how all the things that you've done all seem to add up into something coherent. The plagiarizing what he said, but that's basically the, the message. I, it all began um, with my mom. She said, whatever you decide to do in your career, uh, make sure you're also trying to help somebody. And so that's been the sort of mantra throughout my career. And at points when I was making job changes or career changes, I always had this notion that 
uh, it's got to help me uh, at least continue to make a difference uh, in in the world. And so whether it was New York City government where I got started or in a variety of public policy organizations or in the National Urban League where I had responsibility for an important civil rights and social organization or the United Way, it's always been fundamentally does it allow me to help make a difference in the world? Wow, that's powerful. And I love the looking back. You know, oftentimes when we're in this journey of purpose discovery and trying to figure it out, and I say from a spiritual perspective, God has placed these like nuggets in these these stones. And then when we look back, we say, oh, that's how I got to here as they're always being laid. So kind of a career tip for those out there. And you're kind of wondering you know, how did I get here or where do I want to go? And I love that advice of look back and see what you've gleaned along the way that can help you as you decide to move forward. Absolutely. So I like that you talked about your mom and she's given you these nuggets and wisdom. So tell us about Milton as a child. What were you like growing up? Uh, you know, I was a, I was a typical boy. I tell young people all the time I wasn't born in this suit. Uh, <laughs> you know, I. Uh, I was a um, mischievous kid. I was always in trouble. I talked a lot in school. I was always getting pulled aside for conduct issues. I was great academically, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I'd throw rocks and break windows and have to write, I will not throw stones a thousand <laughs> times on a ledger. I mean, I was that kid mm -hmm. uh, growing up. And but I was athletic. I was social. I could sing a little. So I was always the mm -hmm. lead in all of my school, elementary school and throughout uh, junior high. And so, you know, I'm lucky enough to have had a well-rounded childhood of mm -hmm. academics, athletics, you know, performing arts and enough mischief that I wasn't an angel, but not so much mischief that I got in serious trouble that derailed me from mm -hmm. going forward. Yeah. So it's so funny. I talked to one of the first podcast interviews you hear is from my brother, who is an assistant principal. And he says, you know, I always wonder about the kids, you know, what happens to them, the ones who were causing the trouble. And he's like, I always wonder, you know, I plant the seed and I hope I watered it enough that eventually they get back and, and it starts to sprout, sprout something. So I'm sure your teachers are looking back like, maybe we've sprouted. But when you look at that as your childhood and, and shaping who you are today, how has your childhood or your past shaped the Milton Little that we know and love today? I was a kid who couldn't go outside and play until a couple of things happened. And this didn't matter whether it was during the school year or during the summer. My mother, who was a, a teacher but didn't really do it professionally until after I got into middle school, made me do two things. One, practice my math. I remember sitting at the kitchen table crying because I just couldn't figure mm -hmm. out fractions. I mean, it was that kind of um, situation. The second thing that I had to do was I had to learn some element of black history. I, that was constant. So I'm eight, I'm nine years old, and I can tell you about Crispus Attucks. I can tell you about Mary McLeod Bethune. I can tell you about who were the first black generals in the U.S. Army. I can tell you about entertainers. It was a way for me to do two things. One, understand the history that wasn't going to be taught in school, mm -hmm. but also to get a sense that life had purpose that here were people who were 
excellent in their professions, but also committed to the advancement of Black folk. And that gave me a sense of social responsibility as well. And so, you know, that coupled with, you know, mom's instruction, my father always telling me that I had to get well beyond where he was professionally and educationally. And that was the challenge. I mean, that was the environment in which I was raised and, and felt the sense that there was something I was supposed to do more than just get a good job and make a few coins. Mm, I love it. And, uh, you know, you talk about those, what your parents laid down as the foundation and how it's shaped who you are. And I love that social responsibility. And you talk about, I love, you say, you know, more than just, you know, what I do and making the coins. And one of the things I talk about is this idea of purpose and prosperity. You know, I, I can imagine that for you, people think nonprofit and they're like, oh, you must be living, you know, in this, you know, low life of financial perspective because you you choose the nonprofit route or even people who, who say, hey, I want to work in my purpose. But the automatic thing that I get is, OK, I'm going to make less money. And so let's talk about this notion of purpose and prosperity and how you can have, you know, both sides of that coin. Number one. I mean, you could work in a for-profit business and and be poor. <laughs> I mean, we've got... You know, <laughs> well, we, then there's got, that part too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got thousands of examples of, of people, you know, working in the for-profit space who are cobbling together two, three, four jobs and still struggling to make ends meet. So, you know, let's not make the assumption that just because in the for-profit space, and, you know, it's milk and, and honey. That's point number one. Point number two is the nonprofit arena is tremendously broad and varied. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't understand that the NFL is a nonprofit. And nobody is thinking that the commissioner of the NFL has taken a vow of poverty to do mm -hmm. that. And so not all nonprofits are small human service organizations on the corner. They are museums. They are arts and cultural institutions, they're in a hundred million dollar organization like the United Way of Greater Atlanta. And so one does not have to be poor to do good. So that's, mm -hmm. I want to emphasize that point. Having said that, you do make some sacrifices. I worked in the for-profit space and sort of took a pay cut to come back in the nonprofit space. And so there are those realities and one has to decide they can live with that sacrifice. And I don't chastise, I don't castigate anybody who doesn't want to do this, because you can still be a for-profit guy, a for-profit woman, and have a tremendous nonprofit board service career where you're giving back in the community and still straddling that line between your for-profit life and your nonprofit set of purposes. And so that's what I offer as a perspective on how to Think about the sacrifices, think about the income and all of those other things. You can make this work if you want to. Awesome. Awesome. And I love it. You're like, very correctly. Let me let me level set, you know, because, you know, even just managing finances that goes across the spectrum, no matter where you are in your career choice. But then even understanding there are some sacrifices, the kind of the give and get. So people making that decision, what they want. But if you have a solid financial foundation, 
You can do whatever you desire and be prosperous. And so let's think of that mindset of having the foundation set. And then whatever you build on top of that will just continue to stand. So I, I love that. Now, let's talk about as we talk about your purpose and kind of moving into this space, maybe some of the things, the challenges that you faced kind of moving into this career and leadership and staying true to your values along the spec along the way. How have you been able to do that successfully? And what are challenges? Yeah, thanks for that question as well. There was a moment in my career where I ended up working in sort of a hedge fund, a fund of fund sort of space. And tremendously financially lucrative, but it was probably the first time in my career I was outside of that arena where I felt what I did on a daily day basis, day-to-day basis, was intended to serve the public good. You know, and I'd scratch my head and look in the mirror and say, you know, I don't think the good Lord intended for me to be on earth just to make incredibly rich people richer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I had to decide whether or not I could continue to be in that space while my sense of purpose was calling me to do other other things. And so, you know, you sometimes you get in a space and you just have to listen to a voice mm. and decide whether or not, you know, it's calling you to, you know, stay where you are or, or move in a different direction. And again, I say this as an advocate for people doing whatever they can do, whatever their talents enable them to do. So I'm not saying to anybody who's in that for-profit space, you're a bad person because you're chasing the dollar. That That is not the point. The point is that there are social concerns and community concerns that you also have an opportunity to leverage your skills and experience to help address. And I think the most fulfilled people are those that find a way to do both. And I'll tell just one last quick story. On any given year, I'm going to have people coming in my office and they're going to say that I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60 years old. I've been tremendously successful, but I am feeling empty mm-hmm. because I have made a lot of money. I've I've advanced in my career, but at the end of the day, I don't feel like I have given back to the world. I've not made anybody's life any any richer. I've not solved any problem. And so they come to me asking, how can I turn my life of success into a life of significance? And I don't want people out there wrestling with feeling that they have not done anything significant while they have chased success. Mm. Powerful. And there are so many people who are probably listening right now that that message has really resonated with them. I'm really stuck. Like, I feel that loss, you know, that that gap and something's missing. What advice would you give him or her who are listening right now who may be in that same spot? Well, I would say this a couple of bits of advice. Number one, you don't have to wait until you've made all your money to decide you want to do something in the civic and human service community change kind of space. You can do both. And United Way's got a program that teaches people how to be on boards, nonprofit boards. And and it's the spectrum of young professionals to seasoned uh, professionals. 
a lot of people just say, I'm going to wait until I retire and do mm-hmm. that. You don't have to. And there are ways in which you can make a difference early in your career. I think my first board service was before the age of 30, and I've been doing it ever since. So I would say really seize the moment. And I know it's a balancing act between your career and your family and the community and everything, but uh, give it a shot. Because out there, somebody, some community, some family, somebody needs uh, some help that only you can provide. And so find a way to make that happen. I love it. Seizing the moment. And there are gifts and talents that you are gifted with. An organization, community needs your support and service. So defining kind of that time frame that you're able to give. Sometimes it's like an all or nothing. I can't give it all, so I'm not going to do anything. But it's like defining what that thing is that you can do, the bandwidth that you do have and, you know, pouring that into the community. Because I will tell you, once you do, you will truly be blessed and it will just give you that charge and energy that you may be desiring. So great advice that I'm encouraging everyone to look into. And if you're like, wait, what is that United Way? How do we find out about? (laughs) You know, this is going to be in the notes for the section, how to connect if you are interested in pursuing what United Way has. Now, as we talk about this corporate ladder, this proverbial corporate ladder that everyone's trying to kind of move up and you say, hey, you talk about being at the top of this this corporate ladder and people say, are there sacrifices that you had to make or even more so challenges that you faced being a Black CEO here in Atlanta, United Way, that you faced and how did you overcome them? There were a lot of challenges. Number one, when I was interviewing for the job, one of the questions that I kept getting asked was, did I think white men and women in Atlanta would be willing to give a black man in the United Way their money? There had never been anybody who looked like me in this job. job had Mm -hmm. been white men one after another as the president, CEO of the executive director. So you had to deal with, you know, perceptions that, you know, a black person in this job might not have the success that uh, somebody who looks very different or perhaps more traditional uh, Mm -hmm. CEO. So you had to deal with those uh, expectations. You know, in fact, I I heard a year later that folks didn't think I was going to last a year in a job, that I'd either fail as a fundraiser, I'd get caught stealing money, or I'd get caught in some kind of scandal. So you come into town with some fairly low expectations that Mm -hmm. some folks have. And, but, you know, this is not the first time I've been the first black person in, in, in a role. And so you, you just learn that somehow that's background noise. You got to figure out how to deal with. You got to have a good sense of self, what you're capable of doing. You have to have a good track record and know that I can always leave this thing and do something else. Um, and so you got to be able to, you know, walk away. And part of that also is you got to be able to separate who you are from what you do. And if your identity is caught up in your profession, if something happens in your profession, then your identity suffers. You got to be able to have these two things separate so that I will always be who I am and feel confident and, and sure about who I am, no matter what happens on the professional front. And so that's the other bit of advice that I'd uh, I'd give 
as well. And then just be prepared and go into it, making the sacrifices that you have to make. Most of my career before I got into the United Way, I was always on an airplane. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be 60, 70 percent uh, of uh, my work uh, week or month on a plane in some mm-hmm. other community. Tremendous sacrifices that that meant for me, the family and everything else. And so you just have to go into these things with those eyes open and prepared to live within the, the, the guidelines that you have and you and your spouse might have negotiated mm-hmm. that allows um, those sacrifices to be tolerable. Wow. There were so many nuggets that you shared in that response that I really want to make sure that the audience absorbed that. And one of the powerful things that you said is that what you do is not who you are. I mean, you know, audience, what you do is what you do, but who you are and the anchoring as a person, having that separated. So that way, when things go well or they don't go well, you don't take it as a personal attack or personally, now I can't function because of this. And you also talked about that walking away, you know, being okay with putting things out there, doing your best, but I'm okay. If this doesn't work out, I will be okay. And I think that's because having that difference of what I do and who I am, that if it doesn't work out, I'm still okay. And so for those who are, are, are new to a role where you're the only one who looks like you and you, and I've been in rooms where it's like, wait, no one looks like me, but, you know, still having my drive for results and, and wanting to get things done, but also knowing that I'm okay. If things go well, it's, it, that's great. But if they don't, Michelle will still be okay, which is like also the the thing for this podcast. I had to remind myself, no matter what, I will be okay. Uh, So, I mean, you know, there there are generally there are three things that I keep in mind in any one of these jobs. A, the job's going to end. And so it's either going to end because I quit, I get fired uh, or I retire. So but one day this thing's going to end. So, you know, you just accept that. And just be prepared and, and do everything you can with it and know that I'll say this for myself. I know that if I dropped dead in this job before my body was cold, somebody would be stepping over it and getting in my chair. Mm-hmm. You know, and so none of us is indispensable. And so you just have to, OK, what while I'm in the job, I'm going to do everything I can to maximize it and do the best I can with it. And uh and be prepared for the day when it ends, because it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. And hopefully it's on like <laughs> on the good terms. Oh, yeah, um, right. yeah, on the good terms. Please, no one dropped it. Appreciate it. But uh, and wait till after this interview. But uh, yeah. but uh, yeah. but that is but true. And that is so true. And, and it's like reminding people of that before, you know, your body is cold. Your That requisition will be up for your replacement. So, you know, doing the best while you can. But remembering that's, again, that's the separation between who you are and yeah. what you do and mm-hmm. uh and if there's nothing that folks take away from the conversation hopefully they'll remember that yes i truly believe so and so as we talk about legacy then you know when you walk away from you know and move on to to something different or retire what is the professional legacy you want to leave behind I think it's just simply that wherever I went, 
I was driven by a fundamental goal of trying to make the world a little bit better place than it was when I uh, entered it. And whether it was early in my career and I was working in New York City, helping young kids in high school get jobs in industries they never could imagine they'd uh, uh, find their way in, or whether it was my public policy career and trying to figure out how to how to use the levers of public policy to advance a social justice, economic justice type uh, set of objectives. I mean, that's what I was always about. And, you know, I want to be able to sort of uh, continue to put my head on the pillow every night, and feel confident that somebody's a little bit better off for what I, uh, I did. And I want people to hopefully think of me as a kind committed and passionate purpose about uh, uh, improving lives. Wow. Very impactful. And when we think about one of the questions I'm always asking is your why? What is your why? So we we know the legacy you want to leave behind. We kind of have an idea of your journey, but why do you do what you do? What drives and motivates you and anchors everything that you do? I will never really forget that I've been blessed with lots of opportunity. When I was in ninth grade in uh, New York, I was a great student, but I was I was bored. I was that kid in school who was an A student, and so the teachers never paid any attention to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd look out the window, and I had a guidance counselor uh, who called my parents up and had them come to the school and peer into each one of my classrooms throughout the day. Uh, and to see that I was just not paying any attention. And he looked at him and he said, this school can't do anything for your son. You need to find a more competitive place for him to be. God, there aren't enough guidance counselors out there to do that for mm-hmm. all the kids that have those opportunities. I say all that to say somebody decided that I needed to be put someplace else so that I could achieve at what level my academic skills said I could. I was lucky enough, without even applying to Morehouse, getting a scholarship to go to Morehouse and getting my education paid for. I was lucky enough to get my education paid for to go to Columbia University. I have had great things happen through little effort of my own. And so I know that I have benefited from the the good graces of some people, nameless and faceless, who just made stuff happen for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, least I can do is return the favor. I love it. Powerful. Least I could do is return the favor. And so all of us out there listening, thinking about, you know, you've been poured into, your cup has been poured into. Now the ask of you is, who will you pour into? You know, it's one thing to say, I need a mentor. I need a sponsor. I need this. I need this. I need this. And then the question is, who are you doing that for? Because if the answer is no one, <laughs> then you re- you may then say, why am I not receiving the blessings? Why am I not receiving the mentors? Why am I not receiving it? It's because you're also not giving. So I encourage everyone to give and pour into someone else and watch how that in then turn in turn blesses and enriches you. So I like to wrap up every episode of the, the podcast with a hashtag. So what is, and this is probably the hardest question (laughs) that I will ask you this evening. And that is, what is your hashtag for your career journey? I would say hashtag purpose-driven. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that that's that hard. You know, and there'd be a smiley face emoji. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm purpose driven, but I still like to have a good time. Uh, so, you know, there's a whole sort of social side of me, social fun kind of that that's not part of the purpose of this conversation. But I don't want people to think I'm just boring and driven uh, all the time. I got to take the tie off and take the wig off and, you know, <laughs> and, and just have a good time. And so, right. yeah, purpose driven. But, you know, there's a lot of life here that you also want to experience as well. Mm-hmm. So we will do hashtag purpose driven with a smiley face because you told us at the beginning, you were like, I was not always in the suit. So very clear, very clear. And then you can say, but look at me now. I know I said ending with the hashtag, but I want to end with just any advice for the people who are listening, who are on their journey of kind of operating in their purpose in their career. Any advice that you would provide him or her? So I'd say this, you know, there's a school of thought that is you need to find a job and a career that aligns with your purpose. Mm -hmm. I subscribe to a school of thought that says you need to bring your you bring your purpose to whatever it is you do. Because the reality is most people work so that they can put a roof over their head and put food in their stomachs and take care of their families. That's why people work. That's why they call it work. But it's how do you bring a sense of purpose to that? And so that would be the bit of advice I'd give folks is don't feel that you are less than because you're working in a job that is not aligned with your purpose. Mm-hmm. Be thinking about how I can bring all of these elements of my purpose to whatever I do professionally from a volunteer standpoint. And that's where that's where I think you'll find the most uh, fulfillment. Awesome. Beautiful, beautiful words of wisdom. And so I truly thank you for sharing, for pouring into us. As we talk about, you know, just operating in our purpose in corporate America. So again, great interview. And I just, you're just a breath of fresh air. So I truly appreciate you and your time. So thank you everyone for tuning in to the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. Again, we had our special guest, Milton Little, and you can follow him on LinkedIn and you can check out United Way and all of the programs that they have. And that's a great way to to get involved, right? So either through the programs or through friend raising, uh, you can connect with United Way as well. And you, everyone, have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Creating Your Unlimited Journey podcast. I pray that you are blessed and enriched by today's content. I pray that you choose to walk purposeful and powerful in your career journey. If this message resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast. And for more resources on how I can support your career journey, please visit journeyunlimited.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and bye for now.